Welcome to Neighborhood Church. To find out more about who we are, go to neighborhoodchurchmn.org. Enjoy the message. morning. I'm Nikki. Um, we have some music that actually Steve, who is the other uh, worship leader, created so that we can play it um, with the live stream. I, I don't think we've ever given Steve credit for this round of music, but just I wanted to let you know in advance when you hear it, like it takes time and effort when people put music together. So um, I find it's helpful for me when I have to, when I'm listening to um, if I'm doing a reading or praying that there's something in the background, it doesn't have to be something really loud, but just that little bit of music sometimes can be a little settling in this space if all of a sudden it just gets really quiet. That can, it can f- be a little bit awkward. So one of our things is we want to try to make things a little less awkward so that you can like relax into things. So um, I've got a, a prayer that I want to read, uh, but first I want to just preface a little bit about even my own experience with prayer. Um, and how I even got into this this book. This book that I'm going to read from is a Rhythm of Prayer. It was edited by Sarah Bessie, and it's featuring a lot of uh, women who uh, are writing prayers. And when Chris bought this book, it was in a season where I'm like, I didn't want to have anything to do with prayer at all. Like, I uh, found myself in a space, I don't know if you've been here, where I just decided to stonewall God and, like, have no conversations with God at all. And it was because I was just tired of the way I was interacting with God and just upset with things that were happening in the world. I was unhappy with things in the world, in myself. And so instead of, like, dealing with that, I felt like the best way to do that was to stonewall, which Chris just left, but that's something I do even in my relationships. I'll just be like, I'm shutting down. I'm done. Like, cool, go about, do your business. I'm going to do me. And uh, so Chris got this book, and he's like, this should be a really helpful guy. He's like, you should really read this book which doesn't always go over super well in a relationship when your spouse is like, you should read this book. I'm like, I think he's trying to tell me something. So I was grateful. I was like, I, I understand the gift. Like, you're trying to help me in this space where you, you can see that I have some kind of hurt or some kind of desire, and you're trying to help me. Um, and so it took a while. But actually, the thing that got me back into thinking about how I wanted to engage with prayer was that every night when my kids were little, I would pray with them. And we had s- standard prayers that we would pray. And then when I was in this whole stonewalling time, I just kind of dropped the prayer time. I'd read the story to the kids, and I'd kiss them, and I'd tell them I love them, and i just, no prayer. And thinking, like, they're not going to catch up <laughs> on this, except one of my kids finally said, hey, Mom, why don't you pray for me anymore? And it was like, you know, late at night, you know how your kids always have, like, usually deep conversations start happening at, like, 9, 10 o'clock when you have, like, not the extra space to process. And so I was really, I was kind and generous, and I'm like, okay, honey, I would love to pray for you. Um, and they just, they just said to me, this matters to me. Why did you stop? And so I didn't get into it with them right now. I just said, well, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I haven't been praying for you or that I missed that, that I just stopped and I didn't even talk to you about it. I just stopped praying. And so I asked them what they wanted prayer for, and we prayed together. And then I just went to bed and just laid awake. Because <laughs> right? so I'm like, why did I stop praying for my kid? What do I need to do to, if that's what they love, 
that's what's engaging their heart. Um, what's, what's it going to take for me to re-engage with God? Whatever that looks like or however that sounds. And I realized I had my own beef with even the word God. And so I'm like, okay, well, if that's my problem, like I do believe that there's something greater at work in the world. But I had all this attachment to the word God that I felt like I was angry at God. I'm, I'm like, so I, I thought about, um, I had a coach who told me, if you don't like the word, change it. And so I'm like, well, I don't know that I can, like, I'm a pastor and all, but I don't know that we just change the word God. Like, that just seems really wrong. Like, who am I praying to now? And so that was a question to deal with. Who am I actually praying to? And what am I praying about? Like, if I'm frustrated and I'm stonewalling whoever God is that I've made God to be, then I have to figure out who I'm actually praying to because I do believe that there's something greater at work in the world, and I want to be connected to it, and I feel very disconnected, and I don't want to be disconnected anymore. And so I started just taking other people's prayers since I really didn't know what to pray anymore. And this book helped, and a lot of other books helped. So that and breathing. If you've been here for any length of time, you've probably been through the whole series of having me walk us through breathing together. And that to me is probably the most grounding. That gets me back to a place of realizing that I'm, I am connected to all things because oxygen is with us everywhere. Air is with us everywhere. We can't live without it. And it's even there when we don't know it. Um, and so part of that, just reconnecting with my breath, slowing down, and then that gets me to the place where I'm like, oh, actually, that's, that could be my prayer today. If I feel like I have nothing else that I could say or do, I can be grateful that there is breath coming into my lungs and out. And I'm not, I didn't ask for it, it's just there. So uh, the first thing I'm going to read is this is actually by Sarah Bessie, and this is what she says, a prayer for when you don't even know what you want. And she says, settle down into the silence, close your eyes, inhale. Speak the name of God that rises to your lips, Jesus, Mother, Abba, Yahweh, Father, God, Spirit, simply let it be what it is. Exhale. Imagine God calling you by name and hear God say to you, as Jesus said to the blind man who called out to him, what do you want me to do for you? Inhale again. Exhale and answer honestly. This is called The Lantern and the Wildflower by Caitlin Curtis. If only I could give you the gift of adventure. If only I could box her up for you, the big red bow on top glimmering. But this cannot be. Adventure is not given or earned. She is a breath that is prayed, a force that is found, found in the soul of everyone and everything. But maybe, just maybe, if I cannot box her up for you, I can at least point you in her direction. Maybe, at least. I can tell you where I saw her last. What I prayed when I was alone, waiting in a forest under the pine trees, waiting for her to appear. Maybe that will be your beginning. You see, I didn't learn for a long time. For years, as soon as I began searching, I hid behind fear. 
all the while, adventure waiting for me with a lantern and a wildflower. All that time, I only wanted pictures of her without knowing her presence, her warmth, her smell. But when I met her, I found myself. When I prayed, I found God. If only I could teach you not to be afraid. If only I could tell you that it's okay if you don't have words left to pray. If only I could point you towards that lantern and that wildflower. If only I could show you the way to God. But God cannot be given or earned. No, God is found. So in that soul of yours, there is great opportunity. You, the world, breath and prayer embodied. Everything is sacred. And these things would never fit into a box with a big red bow on top, glimmering. So let's just take a minute. If you want to close your eyes, you can. If you want to just put both uh, your feet on the ground, we're just going to take a second to breathe in and breathe out. And then Chris is going to come up. Um, so um, whatever that name is that you want to use, whether it's God or Father or Mother, you get to choose. So come and be with us. And we just take a moment to uh, recognize our breath. And just take a moment just to even recognize, you don't have to change the pattern of your breath at all. Just recognize where it is, if it's coming in through your nose. I know a lot of us are feeling um, congested and sick, so it may be harder to breathe. So maybe your breathing has changed a bit. Just you're recognizing it just for what it is. breathing out and knowing that that breath stays with us all day long. So if you feel disconnected today or if you're feeling overwhelmed or nervous or anxious, know that you can always go back to your breathing and recognizing your breath going in and out. And that God, however God looks to you, is always present with us. Thank you, thank you. We couldn't have planned that better. The song actually ended when she said amen. <laughs> I like the music. I, that's, that's, a, that's great. So my name's Chris. My pronouns are he, him. And prayer is a beautiful, mystic, and odd thing, Right? I remember being in North Central Bible College. Anyone? You're supposed to yay, Sarah. I know we're the only ones in the room, so God. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, I took a class called Life of Prayer, and in that class, I got a D. And my, yeah, I got a D in prayer, which my dad loves to bring up every Thanksgiving. He's like, hey, who wants to pray? Not Chris. You got a D. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> right? Life of Prayer was they get up and uh, they were, it's a Pentecostal charismatic school, so they get up and they're like, let's get up, let's start praying, or here we go now. And it was 7 in the morning, right? And we're in college. In Bible college, we didn't drink any beer, right? But we, we, we no, we didn't, I promise. You gave me a look like, uh. um, 
But it was 7 a.m. And so we'd get up and everyone would stand up and they're like, they'd start speaking in tongues or yelling at the devil or something like that. And then me and Bill Whiteven would lay down in the back and go back to bed because we knew they'd pray for about 45 minutes. And that's why I got a D, Dad. (laughs) But my earliest memory of prayer is being a little kid swinging on the, um, in our backyard, our front yard, and singing songs and praying, like just making up words about Jesus and angels. And um, I could still feel the warmth on my back to this day. And it's like a very precious memory of whatever God is and whatever I was at you know, four, or five years old, four or five years old, I was having an experience. But I've also had some really odd experiences with prayer, like um, uh, Alma and I were talking about Bible camp, right? Bible camp was dope, right? Uh, and usually you put those words together, and it's not fun, right? <laughs> it's like Bible camp, hmm. And we do chapel in the morning, we do Bible study in the afternoon, and we do chapel at night for five days, right, as teenagers. And we loved it. It was, it was at least I, Nikki and I um, loved it. And we were getting, uh, we were praying for the speaker and say his name's Bill. And we're like, oh, let's pray for Bill, that Bill is, uh, you know, going to bring the word or something like that, the fire of God. And so we go, like, hey, Bill, can we pray for you? He's like, yeah, that's great. And we all gather around him, and we're good little charismatic evangelicals, so we were going to put our hands on him. And before we put our hands on him, he goes, wait, stop. No one touch me. You can pray for me, but don't touch me. I don't want any of your demons getting into me. And the whole group, yeah, exactly, all right? The, the whole group's like, okay, I, I understand that. And I'm looking around, like, are we all agreeing to this? Are we saying, like, if we touch each other, if I touch Sarah, like, my demons are now inside. Is this how it works? And if we just normalize, like, yeah, totally, all right. Um, I remember being a, um, a, a younger kid, like, probably, like, I think it was 9 or 10. And I was taught at this charismatic church this thing called the rapture was going to happen, right? And when you're a kid and you hear the rapture, if you're not familiar with the rapture, it's like going to be like this horn, shafar, shafar, is it going to blow, right? And then Jesus is going to meet us in the sky, we're going to be up in the sky with Jesus, and all the other suckers are going to be left behind to deal with the Antichrist, right? And there's going to be famine and war and 666 everywhere, and right? (laughs) You're scared, me too, right? So uh, in the middle of the night, I'm like, this was beaten. I shouldn't say that's unfair. It was um, programmed into us that this is going to happen. And living in Carleton, oh, Jen Fry, who lives in Madawa, had this, we just had this talk. Um, in the middle of the night in Carleton, you could hear the train come through, and there would be this horn, right? And there'd be a couple times in the middle of the night, I'd wake up in a sweat and saying, I'm still here. I'm left behind, right? And so I'd run upstairs. This is a joke, by the way. This part is a joke. I'm just, you know, I run upstairs and open the door to see if my mom was still there. Because if my dad was there, he was Catholic, so he wasn't going anywhere. Right? <laughs> hey, oh, we were taught, we were taught that Catholicism is not Christianity. Yes, <laughs> so if I looked to see if my mom was there, and if my mom was there, I would be okay because I knew my mom was a real Christian, and she would clearly get brought up in the heaven. Right? I know. I just took a couple shots at my dad. You're welcome, dad. Um, but then I would pray a prayer of gratitude. I'd, I'd say, oh, God, thank you that I'm still here. Which, if you think about it, that is a toxic way of prayer. I'm just thankful, God, that you didn't leave me behind with all the other pagans, right? So prayer, like, um, uh, I remember really precious times, like praying with our kids. Um, Nikki praying for me. Of We used to do something called ministry time in our, our church and at the church I used to work at. And I had 
hundreds of positive experiences. There's some transformational things that happen. I still believe in a life of prayer. But I read an article, not an article, I read a, um, an essay, because I'm in seminary, no big deal. I'm in graduate school. I'm brilliant. Um, and there was this guy, his name is George E. Tinker, and he is an indigenous theologian and author and leader. And he um, wrote this essay, this paper, all on what we value, right? And he starts off with this story, and this will all come back to prayer. He told a story, there's a family uh, uh, in the beginning of time, and the, f- uh, the husband and the father was a hunter. And the family loved that the dad was a hunter because it provided for the family. Well, they hit a period where there was not as many animals around, and they started going hungry. And for several days, they didn't eat. And his wife and, and the mother of their kids said, um, please take my life and use my blood and pour it on the ground. And he said, no, I will not do that. I love you. Several days later, their kids were um, dying, about to die of starvation. So he went back to his wife, and he said, I, I will agree to this. And so he takes her body, takes her blood, and pours it over, um, over the soil. And out of that, there's food that grows up. And overnight, it matures. The next day, they're able to eat, and their family is saved. And they all said, thank you to Mother Corn. Right? And this is a story that has a theological impact. Because now, the ground is not just something to be consumed. The ground is just not something to be tolerated. It's not just something that we throw around. It means that there is a, a story, a belonging, that the earth feeds us in the same way our bodies, or the indigenous people's bodies in this story, also feed the earth. Then he went to this, 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 the two values that he called um, <laughs> European white people, he called them immigrants, which I loved, Right? Because it instantly brings up this feeling of like, I'm not an immigrant, I'm American, right? It's like, no, we're all immigrants, right? And he, he said in this value of immigrants was time. Time is of the, of the highest value, which I can associate with, right? That you want to be efficient, you want to be on, who are we talking about being on time, right? Yeah, yeah, Cody, we were talking about like, like our church doesn't show up till like five after, really, all right? It's just how it works. And she got here, or they got here, like, what, 10 minutes too? And, like, I love being on time. In time, it's not just being on time. It's how we use our time. I love being efficient. If I had my way, this sounds so arrogant. I don't know why I'm saying this, right? I would wake up and already be out the door, right? That's, like, <laughs> when we're on vacation, and it's the, and I, anyone else out here like this, the last day, some people are like, hey, let's just wait around, and we'll, we don't have to check out till 11, so let's just, you know, have coffee. And I'm like, bags packed at 5 a.m. Let's go. If we know we're leaving, let's get it over with. Yes, Dietrich, you're with that? No. Oh, man. I'm, I'm, 100, I'm 100% that way. Because there's this narrative in my head, we only have so much time, and I want to win. Any other Enneagram 3 people out there, I want to, it's what I, in my head, it's winning. I'm not saying this is healthy, by the way, all right? I'm not endorsing this. There's something in my head, this, like, drive, this wheel that just wants to um, be as efficient as possible. From driving, if I'm riding, I'm the worst person to ride in your car with you. Because if Weaver's like, oh, I'm going to take a left hand here, I'm like, if you would have went one more block, you could take a right on the red, we could have got there faster, right? Um, And so that value for um, us immigrants is time. And so when, um, uh, when European descent people came into America, now it's not just time. There's all this land 
There's this infinite way. This is what brought in colonialism. This is what conquering. It's like we have to have more, more, more. How much is enough? Just a little bit more. Now they are out discovering, and they accidentally discovered America. Now there's this new opportunity to use our time. And in comparison, he said, indigenous people are very different. Time is not our value. Space is our value. The land is our highest value, like the story. It's the blood that provides the earth back to meet us, right? And they go through story after story of, of negotiating with immigrants uh, of how they've broken their treaty, saying, why would we want to give you more of our land? You've already taken so much. And told a story about of this land is not just our land. This is where my people are. And he talked about the crow dirt, right, the, the, the tribe, the crow people. He said, you have to go so far down before we actually reach the earth because this is all my people, right? Talked about burial sites and how, why would you ever want to move away from where your grandpa and great-grandpa and generations of people are? It's not just like I can visualize where my grandpa Tony is buried and where my grandpa Lloyd is buried, right? I could probably take some time to find it, but it brings me some comfort of seeing the gravestone or pretend, or not pretending, but like in my memory of what the gravestone is. But I'm not tied to it at all, right? I can visit there and where we live. This is who I am. Um, if you guys remember, if you're not from around Duluth, there was a, what do you call that, in Fond du Lac on Highway 23, right before you get to um, Chambersburg Grove and Montalac, they were building an extra, like, lane, an extra highway, and they, um, it, as they were pulling up, they found some bones, right? And this is my bias, right? So I'm not advocating for this. I still remember when they, dis- and they shut everything down, I looked, I'm like, there's all this equipment here. There's like, we already got the road blocked off. Why are we stopping? Time, right? I need to be efficient. We can just get this job done. Can we just like hurry this along, right? And that is my bias of I clearly chose time, efficiency, to advance, move forward over. They chose space. They took, they're still taking time, and they should take all the time in the world to go through every single area because that's not just a highway, that's their belonging. That is who they are. This is their people. And it, and I love that, right? So for me, where this got confronted the most was um, COVID, right? You guys remember that thing? And um, I, me trying to get out and I, like produce more, be more, you know, like at that time, it was like, we got to grow the church and we have to like, you know, get big, and we have to go do all this stuff, right? And I would just nonstop move and hustle. I had time. Well, with COVID came, right? Now we have infinite amounts of time, right? And I couldn't just go out and hustle. I couldn't go and, and do the grind. I would have, I had, what, one hour a week We on camera? And for those first, like, six, seven services, I don't want to go back and watch them, <laughs> right? But I feel like I had to be larger than life. I had to, like, convince people, no, this is still a church. This is still a thing. And we get done, and I would just bawl. I would cry because it felt like, oh, I wasn't enough. I had to be more. And I looked at other churches, and they had, like, Zoom hangouts and how the prayer Jabez or whatever it is, right? And, 